Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 735 with Jim Cathcart. If you're listening to this episode the very day it comes out, it is Monday, January 17th, 2022, which is right around Quitter's Day, the time where folks give up on their New Year's resolutions. Well, I thought it might be fun to have an old school classic motivational dude share some insight. I guess it's not as old school and classic as like Hernan Cortez burned the boats or, uh, Benjamin Franklin with his virtue diary, but uh, someone I was reading when I was a youngster, a teenager at the Danville Public Library, and it was fun to to hear him share his wisdom. And indeed, he's got some true insights when it comes to what are the mindsets and practices associated with the motivated, successful people. How can we adopt them and become them? So you'll learn one, the simple secret to motivating yourself and others. Two, a powerful phrase to motivate you to be your best. And three, four steps to breaking bad habits. And so if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we mentioned here, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP735. And if you're new to the show, or even if you're not new to the show, check out the good stuff over at awesomeatyourjob.com. We've got a boatload of resources from transcripts to summaries to free email courses. So it's good stuff over at awesomeatyourjob.com. And now here's some good stuff about Jim. Jim Cathcart, CSP, CPAE, is a person who has achieved every major milestone in professional speaking. President of the National Speakers Association, Speakers Hall of Fame, 22 published books, 3,300 highly paid speeches worldwide with speeches in China, South America, Europe, and every one of the 50 U.S. states. He's received the Golden Gavel Award from Toastmasters International, which has also been presented to Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, Earl Nightingale, and Walter Cronkite. He received the Cavett Award from the National Speakers Association and more. Jim's also a guitarist and singer-songwriter who performs often in clubs, at conventions, and special events. He's a fitness enthusiast who has logged over 10,000 miles of running mountain trails after age 60 and a lifetime member of the American Motorcyclist Association. A newscaster once said Jim Cathcart is what Fonzie from Happy Days would have been had he gone to business school. And to that end, in September 2021, Jim received an honorary business degree from High Point University in North Carolina. Big thanks to Jim for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Jim. Jim, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Hey, it's a great place to be. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's so fun to be chatting with you. I I was reading you when I was a teenager, 
And here we are talking. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> it is. So I'd love to get your take, having lived through, boy, with some of the greats, uh, a, a great yourself when it comes in the speaking biz, as well as hobnobbing with other just sort of legends, rock stars, uh, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins. Yeah, I grew up in the human potential movement. If you look at the 1960s, 70s, 80s, that was the known as the human potential movement because it was the first time society in the U.S. got really interested in self-development and success motivation and that whole general field. And the you know the primary players were Napoleon Hill and Norman Vincent Peale and Dale Carnegie and then Earl Nightingale and you know, on and on. And then Dennis Waitley and I came along about the same time. And then Zig Ziglar was just before us and along with us, for that matter. And Og Mandino and W. Clement Stone. And uh, then Tony Robbins came later and Brian Tracy and Les Brown. It's been a heck of a ride. And I know all those folks. I mean, I didn't know Napoleon Hill, but all the rest that I mentioned, I've known them all and worked with most of them. Well, tell us any funny anecdotes or stories or surprise tidbits that you think listeners might get a kick out of if they're familiar with some of these legends. Yeah. And in 1976, in November of 76, I was at the Oral Roberts University Big Arena, hmm. and it's called the Maybe Center. And there were 11,700 attendees at the Positive Thinking Rally. And the speakers were Paul Harvey, Dr. Robert Schuler of the Crystal Cathedral, Earl Nightingale, Art Linkletter, Zig Ziglar, Cabot Roberts, the founder of the National Speakers Association. And the MC was Don Hudson, H-U-T-S-O-N, out of Memphis. And Don and I had met through a training organization, and he invited me backstage to meet my hero, Earl Nightingale. So I went backstage and shook Earl's hand and had the appropriate goosebumps and loss of breath and everything that would go with being starstruck. And then Don and I walked out and we were standing behind the big stage looking out at the sea of bodies up in the stands. And Don said, Jim, he called me JC. He said, JC, we've got this. I said, what do you mean we've got this? He said, all these speakers on this program? They're 20 or 30 years older than us. We're next. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was right. And he went on to become president of the National Speakers Association. So did I. We were both inducted into the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame, Sales and Marketing Hall of Fame. I've written 22 books. He's written a big handful of New York Times bestsellers himself. And I was just collaborating with him yesterday on a new business deal. That's cool. That's cool. Oh, and all the others are gone now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, our respects to them. Mm -hmm. and, and thank you and congratulations for your success and contributions uh, to, to the field. Thank you. We've got a, a whole boatload of things we could talk about. My producers found you specifically in, to talk about motivation and the power minute, your motivation handbook for activating your dreams and transforming your life. So... That sounds awesome. Tell us, what's, what's the big idea behind this book? Well, first off, motivation needs to be understood as motive and action. Motive, action, motivation. It's easy to remember. So if you think, I'm not motivated to do something, well, if you haven't acted on your motive, 
then you're right. You're not motivated to do it. You might have a motive, Mm -hmm. but until you take action, it's just a dream, a wish, or an impulse, or a preference. So how do you motivate somebody? Well, you do not bring motives to them. You find motives in them. Mm -hmm. So if I put a gun to your head and ask you to give me all your money, if you don't want to continue to live, you probably won't give me your money. Yeah. You'll just say, take your best shot. Right. Mm-hmm. It's so that you got to have the motive for me to be able to stimulate it and get the results I want. Mm-hmm. So if I put a gun to somebody's head and they don't care if they live or die, then that's not going to work. I got to find another way to appeal to them. If I offer somebody a vacation in Acapulco and they're not interested in tr- international travel, it may have been a great reward for somebody, but not for them. So they're not motivated. So if I can learn to read people, day to day and listen more acutely to what people say and what they express interest in, I can identify their motives because people will teach you how to motivate them if you'll just listen. Mm -hmm. And so then I know how to appeal to you. So it might be, it's like in couples therapy, they talk about love languages. Right. Some people feel really loved when you're listening intently just to them. Some people don't think that much of that one. They feel really loved when you give them a thoughtful little gift. Some people feel really loved when you mention them in, uh, to other people and brag about them. And, you know, there are a lot of other ways. Same thing's true for motivation. Some people are motivated by things. Some people are motivated by experiences. Some are motivated by interactions and, and relationships and so forth. So there are lots of ways to motivate someone. That's why I wrote the Power Minute, which is your self-motivation handbook. And the Power Minute is 336 one-minute ideas for how to motivate yourself or others. Now, how do I know they're one minute? Because I originally wrote them as one-minute radio clips. And so they had to be timed exactly to that. And the script was that tight. And so I put them all together and I said, this would make a pretty good book, but it needs some more work. So I worked on it and and had 365. And out of 365, about 30 of them were pretty lame and obvious. So I eliminated those and kept 336. And that became the book. And I was writing the book as if I was teaching my grandchildren how to look at life and live a fulfilling and rewarding life. Uh-huh. Well, I love it. So so share with us. I love how you you could cut 29 <laughs> and don't allow yourself to put out inferior content just to hit a sweet 365 number. Right. Uh, which would be tempting for many of us. So tell us I guess I'm thinking now about the 80/20 principle and how Okay. of them could have 80% of the juice and maybe 4% of them, even 64% of the juice, fractal style. Yeah. So could I put you on the spot to give me your top, we'll say five. Let me give you one that summarizes the whole book and most of my philosophy in life. Become a magnet, not merely an arrow. Mm -hmm. In other words, cultivate in yourself the qualities of the person who would live the life you want to live, get the rewards you want to get, have the experiences and the relationships you want to have. Be the kind of person the people you admire would love to hang with, and those people will be more attracted to you. Be a magnet for what you want. And what's the arrow, by contrast? 
Well, an arrow goes outward from you toward a target. Mm-hmm. So that's when you work diligently to achieve a goal. That's fine. Okay. Because, you know, you find the goal, you identify the steps, you do the discipline day to day until you get there. That's an arrow. But a magnet develops the qualities that make them the sort of person that others want to do business with, that others want to hang around with, that others would seek out the advice of. When I joined the National Speakers Association in my 30s, 1976, I was right at 30 years old. And uh, that that makes me 75 today, by the way. Save people the math, Mm -hmm. because some of them are doing it in their heads. So 30 years old, I joined the National Speakers Association. That's at that time only a few hundred members. But they were my heroes, the big names, the big deal people in the in the world of human development. And I had none of the credentials that I have today. And I didn't have much career experience either. So I decided to be the most generous, the most grateful, the most helpful, the most flexible, the most willing supporter and encourager that they could find. I went to the convention, offered to move chairs, put out signs, greet people, take tickets, do whatever was necessary, drive someone to the airport if necessary, although I didn't have a car on site, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And I was included into the conversations with the big guns as if I was an equal. And when they would ask about me, I'd give them a very brief answer and then ask about them. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't want them learning about me. I wanted me to learn about them so I could become someday one of them. Lovely. That's cool. And so then that that magnet principle is fantastic when it comes to people in terms of, yeah, this this gym guy, I like him. I like the way he works it. I like the way he's helpful. I like being around him. I like the way I feel in his presence. So so fantastic. Oh, I got a quote for you. Take it. This is from the the first president of the National Speakers Association, Bill Gove. He, in a speech one time, said, the greatest compliment I've ever heard in my life is this. I like me better when I'm with you. Oh, yeah. That's nice. Isn't that a great example? You know, I, I had a friend who once told me, oh, Pete, you make people love themselves, which was among my all-time faves. Wow. In that family there. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's cool. And so then that that magnet principle is, is fantastic for people goals in terms of you want, I'm thinking about career and leadership and, and folks want you in the room and to be present and to trust you with some responsibilities and and, and things. I'm curious about goals that are that are less people-y. Now let's talk about maybe uh, fitness. Okay. Or powering through a bunch of stuff you don't feel like powering through. Well, what are some of your, your favorite principles there? I can definitely address those. Yeah. Well, in uh, 1975, I weighed 200 pounds on a 5'9 frame that should be 150. 52 excess pounds at the time. And... I had never been fit, never been an athlete, and I wanted to be. And I had set some big goals for my life and my career, and I looked at my life totally, you know, holistically, mental, physical, family, social, spiritual, career, financial, emotional. And I knew that I had to grow in each of those areas, and that's eight areas. And um, many of those areas needed work, and one of them was fitness and health. And so I quit smoking a couple of years before, And I'd gained a little weight, and I I decided it's time to make a change, so I'm going to lose weight. Well, I knew I could diet successfully. I'd done that half a dozen times. Mm 
but I always gained it back in the next year or two. So I decided I'm going to become a slender person. And people that knew me said, what, what's the difference? I said, slender people never have to go on diets. They said, well, yeah, some people are lucky. No, 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 no. Slender is not luck. Slender may have something to do with your, your metabolism, but you can also live a slender life by choice. So I rethought the way I lived my day-to-day life, the kind of food that I kept in the refrigerator, the kind of drinks that I used for refreshment, the uh, places I went, and the way I participated. For example, I had never considered water to be a real drink. I thought it was the (laughs) default if nothing else was available. And I'd never had coffee or tea without sugar in it. And in coffee's instance, I had cream as well as sugar. So it was basically a mocha milkshake. Mm -hmm. And I decided I'm going to learn to like black coffee and I'm going to stop drinking sugared soda, you know, Cokes and things. And instead of substituting it with diet soda, I'm going to learn to enjoy water. And I did. And that was 1976. By the way, I lost 52 pounds over about a three-month period, became fit, and I'll tell you about that part of it in a second, and have been slender ever since. So my waist is 30 inches, and I'm 75 years old, and it's been pretty close to 30 inches for the last 40-plus years. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy water. In fact, sometimes when we go out to dinner, I'll just have water with the meal. No ice, thank you. And I'm perfectly content with that. And when I drink coffee, it's always black coffee. But at first, I didn't like just water, and I didn't like black coffee. So I retrained my own taste buds and my own preferences. And I I went on, at first, what I called a FABS diet, F-A-B-S. I made it up. No fats, meaning animal fats. No alcohol. No bread, meaning white flour. And no second helpings, Mm F-A-B-S. Second helpings are exactly twice as fattening as first helpings. (laughs) I've noticed that. Right. And I was always saying to my wife, are you going to you're not going to waste that, are you? You know, if she didn't finish something on her plate, I would W.A.I.S.T. waste it by putting it in my body. Oh, OK. Zing. See, all food goes to waste. It either goes into the trash or it goes around your middle. That's right. So you have to choose which one do you prefer? And people say, well, it's just wrong. It's sinful to throw away food that's still good. Well, then put it in the fridge and eat it later, or wait it molds, and then throw it away. Yeah, right. <laughs> but don't store it around your middle. It takes too long to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank you. So with that example, then, we're still applying that magnet principle, except uh, it's not so much the people that are drawn to us, but, but the result. And it still comes from the work of reshaping your core, uh, like an identity perspective. Yeah. You are a slender person. And what by being that, what it, how does a slender person think and operate and behave? And there you go. Exactly. And that was the big thing. Because your mindset leads to your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits are your reputation because a reputation is simply observed habit patterns. And your reputation determines which relationship doors open to you and which ones close. And the 
relationships you're able to form determine the size of a future you're capable of because mm-hmm. nobody does it alone. Uh, that's right. That's right. And if, if there are any skeptics in the audience, like, oh, that's the motivation-y stuff. I've been quite impressed with the work of, of psychologist Albert Bandura talking about self-efficacy, which is that these linkages are, in fact, pretty robustly evidenced in, in research. Oh, yeah. There is a lot of proof. It's not rah-rah. No. <laughs> and the yeah. way a person thinks determines the, the actions they will choose. Mm-hmm. If they think they are unworthy and, uh, and unlikable, then they will build up defenses and look for ways to game the system. Right. If they think they are worthy and able to be valuable to other people, they will look for opportunities and they will reach out. If they feel they cannot recover from failure, then they will do everything to mask themselves and their performance so that no one notices their failures. If they Mm -hmm. feel they can bounce back from a failure, that failure is not a scar or a permanent stain. It's simply an action that didn't pay off the way you wanted. If they feel they can bounce back, then they will stay in the game and keep trying other things. Mm -hmm. They'll be open to new ideas. So mindset leads to actions and actions repeated become patterns, which are habits. Mm hmm. Well, so Jim, then let's go right to the core there. And so if if you do have a belief that is, or mindset that isn't leading you down the actions, habits, pathway onto results that, that you're looking for, like... Yeah, leading you downhill instead of uphill. Yeah. Because you've got the same chain, uphill and downhill. Yeah. It's what I call a causation chain. Right. And so it's mindset, actions, habits, reputation, relationships, future. And if you go down the stairs instead of up the stairs, then it's mindset, limited actions or wrong actions, Yeah, bad habits, bad reputation, no relationships, small future or dim and dismal future. Yeah. So let's say if we do find ourselves like we, we notice within ourselves a belief or a mindset that is pointing us in a downhill direction and maybe you think, I'm just fat or I am a loser, or I'm too shy. Sure. I'll never be able to run the big thing. So whatever limiting or unpleasant or downward pointing, you know, mindset belief we have, and sometimes I think they are are very conscious. Oh, yeah. And front of mind for us. And other times they're kind of buried mm-hmm. a little bit under the surface. Well, and also we've been listening to people yeah. tell us things about ourselves. And, and many people just say, okay, that's a fact because so-and-so said so. Mm -hmm. That's not true. That's their opinion, their point of view. Right. Based on the limited experience they've had with you. Like if your parents tell you you're a loser, that you're never going to be a competitor or that you're not good at math or you're whatever, you know, name your category. If you've been labeled or blamed as, as not being worthy in that category, you accept that, then that's your life. You know, sucks to be you. Sorry. But if you say, well, man, that hurts and I don't like that. How do I get past that? The way to get past that is a different mindset, a different point of view, a different way of thinking about yourself, your world, your relationships, your potential and other people about life in general. I recognized growing up in a working class household where dad was a telephone repairman and mom was a homemaker and we had my 
invalid grandfather in the front bedroom who spent seven years in a hospital bed, never spoke or moved from the bed because of a stroke. We had a loving household, but I wasn't encouraged to think big. No one said, boy, Jim, you know, you've really got potential. Man, you know, if you apply yourself, you could do anything you want. Nobody said that to me. So one day I heard Earl Nightingale on the radio. Earl was the dean of personal motivation in the 60s, 70s, 80s. And he said, if you will spend one hour extra each day studying your chosen field, in five years or less, you'll be a national expert in that field. And in seven years, with an hour of focused attention on extra on that each day, probably one of the world's leading authorities in that field. And I thought, wow, that's 1,250 hours if you figure the minimal approach to five years. Mm -hmm. 1,250 hours on one subject beyond the job. Yeah, even I could do that. And then I didn't know what I wanted to do for a living because I was working as a government clerk for the housing authority. And then it hit me a few weeks later, I want to do what he's doing, but I don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. And so I started studying human development, applied behavioral science, psychology, things like that, fanatically. I'm talking 12, 15, 20, 30 hours a week, listening to recordings, reading books, going to the few seminars that existed back then just getting around anybody that knew what they were talking about in those fields. And my world transformed. Mm -hmm. And I bought a whole series of recordings from Earl Nightingale and listened to them fanatically every day to reprogram my own mind over time to seeing the world in a much more positive and intelligent way. That's cool. That's cool. And I completely buy that, incidentally, in terms of the the hours, because I think some people would say, oh, Michael Gladwell, 10,000 hours, whatever. And that's a bit of a different phenomenon, like violin practice versus yeah. knowledge of, in a domain. Because I've heard it said that if you read like the top five books in your field, you're like, <laughs> you're beyond 90 plus yeah. percent of, yeah. of folks. So that's just five books, which might be like 15 of your hours. You clock it in under a month. So I totally buy that. So, hey, good on you, How to Be Awesome at Your Job listeners. You're, you're going places. And so that's one pathway to answer the question. If you find yourself with a mindset that's not doing the trick for you, one path is to just dig, dig, dig deep into, into learning about a thing. And so are there other pathways you'd recommend? Absolutely. In terms of, let's say, I think I'm just shy and I'll never really be able to have a commanding presence in a room because, you know, that's just... <laughs> yeah, that's just me. That's just not my gifting, you know? I'm kind of a behind-the-scenes operational person, and, and that's fine. We need all sorts. What do we do with that? Yeah, let's drill down. Let's drill down to the underlying assumption. I've found that there are two primary mindsets in the world that tend to easily separate the vast majority of subjects into this school and that school of thought. And the underlying mindset is there is a loving creator, you know, whether you call it in universal intelligence or God or, or mother nature or whatever it is, there is a loving creator and our lives were meant to be. That's one mindset or worldview. The other one is, no, there's not. And once you're dead, it's over. Okay. So let's take one of those assumptions and start organizing every, all the input that comes into a person's life based on that underlying assumption. Mm -hmm. The assumption is there's not one. This is it. And when it's over, it's over. 
Okay. It's everyone for themselves. Get what you can while you can. And anything you can get away with, cool. (laughs) Just do it because they say, no, you should be nice to people because that's what works best. Okay, if it works best. If it doesn't work best, to heck with them. This is your only shot. Go for it. Okay? So that's one mindset. The other mindset is there's a reason for humans to be alive. We are so profoundly different from all other life forms that this must be somehow meant to be. And if that's the case, then we're not the um, sheep of an angry God that wants us to submit, because how shallow would that be for something as powerful as a God to just want servants mm-hmm. and just want submission? I mean, that you follow that through to thoughtful end of it, and it just doesn't make sense. So if there is a source of creation, a source of life, and that source of life meant for us to exist, then what is sin? Sin would be not living fully in the ways that you're designed to live. In other words, there are thousands, if not millions, of contributions you could make to the world to make it a better place, a happier place, a more loving place, a more safer place, etc. And if you don't do those things you are capable of doing or learning how to do, then you deny your creation. You say, no, I was a, I was a mistake. I'm a factory second. Just let me get out of the way. I'll die soon. Don't worry about it. Or you can say, if I'm meant to exist and I can do a great deal of good, It would be a sin, not in a biblical sense, but in a cosmic or philosophical sense, for me not to do the good I could do. If somebody needs to be pulled out of this quicksand and I'm walking by and I've got a rope and I don't do it, I could take partial blame for their death because I didn't do the good I was capable of doing at a time when I could have done it. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a reason for people to exist. Yeah. I think that. The essence of life is living fully, that that's our our job, our assignment, and that that means physically, mentally, spiritually, interpersonally, etc., and that we should live the most abundant life we're capable of. So, yeah, but I'm not good at math yet. See, that's the Mm -hmm. word that all these people leave out. Yeah. Sudoku. Just play around with friends or go to Mathnasium where my grandson teaches, and Learn to be better at math. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm not, you know, I just don't like people. No, you don't like you, and you're afraid of getting around other people because you don't think they'll like you either. Mm-hmm. Well, true. Or I just, you know, I don't know. I don't think I've got the bandwidth to do smart things. <laughs> do you know how to avoid pain? Yeah. Do you know how to eliminate danger? Like if a kid's running into traffic, you stop them? Or you stop the traffic? Yeah. Looks to me like you're a useful being. (laughs) Go forth and multiply. Yeah. Well, so that's fascinating and and deep and profound in terms of zeroing in on a singular belief. And so, and you brought it to creator. And I guess, I don't know, we could debate whether this is one belief. No, don't. Yeah. The danger here is that when you say the word creator, people say, oh, God, church, Bible, strict rules, judgment. Shame, you know, and you think, what? Where the heck did that come from? You know, I never brought up any of that stuff, but they go right down into that Mm -hmm. deep, dark hole. 
And right. that's not what it's about at all. Yeah. Not at all. It's there is a life source. Everybody would pretty much have to agree there's a source that causes life. Right. And I guess when you bring it back to life source, I guess I'm, I'm thinking the notion of responsibility is what hits me in that it's like either you feel, you believe you are responsible to become all you can be, to contribute all you can, or you think it's more of a hedonistic do whatever, man, eat, drink, yeah. be merry for tomorrow we die <laughs> kind of a vibe. Yeah. Well, one of those goes outward and the other one comes inward. Yeah. See, the outward is the service and the doing and the other one's the receiving. Yeah. Right. And so, and I guess I'm thinking it's, it's conceivably possible that you could have a different view of the creator, uh, but also feel the responsibility. But, uh, but regardless, I hear what you're saying in terms of we've got, that is a foundational mindset pathway differentiator right there. And it has a profound domino effect once that shift is made. So if we are on the responsible stewardship contribution pathway, and then we have more of a minor mindset difference, like, oh, I'm just shy and I'm not going to be able to, you know, do whatever. It's like you, you gave us one master key, which is throwing a yet in there. It's like, at the moment, that is the case. However, that is not fixed. And we have the opportunity Kale Duet Growth Mindset Action uh, to to grow and flourish. And so that's one master key. Any other perspectives there? You find yourself with a a troubling mindset and you want to shift gears and directions. What can we do? If you feel that life is unfair, that somehow you're a factory reject, you were the the bad product coming off the assembly line and and there's not much hope for you, then um, your life is going to be defensive. Your life is going to be sad, of course, and and scary, but you're going to take that assumption and reinforce it daily with actions that build on that belief. So how do you interrupt that belief? It's not, not just the other. How do you interrupt that belief? Because any pattern that's not working needs to be interrupted. Uh And if you don't interrupt the pattern, you get more of it, right? So if I've got a pattern of eating too many sweets, let me look at that pattern. Where where do I keep the sweets? All around the house. Why? Because I like to eat them. Okay. Do you (laughs) like the result of eating them? No. Okay. Could you restrict them to one place in the house and eat fewer? Yeah, if I didn't have them on the coffee table and the kitchen counter and the other places, I probably wouldn't impulse eat as often. So, yeah, if I put them all in the cabinet and always had to go in there and never put them out on the table, mm-hmm. then I would I would probably eat fewer sweets. Okay, what if you didn't even put them in the house? What if they were in the garage in a cabinet? There you go. Well, uh, you know, that's just silly. No, it's not. This is simply a self-management technique. See, I came up with a little formula I call MADE, M-A-D-E, and I say that your mindset and your lifestyle must be made, and it's going to be made by someone else or by you. So why not take charge of it? So M, middle picture. What do you focus your attention on? How do you envision your future? How do you talk about your future and so forth? A, affirmation. That's the words you use, the actions you take that reinforce one middle picture or another. So if I say I'm not very coordinated physically, I, I don't, don't learn new skills quickly. 
Okay, I get that. Every time you say that, you strengthen that belief. Every single time you say it, you strengthen the belief in it. And every time you strengthen that belief, you increase the likelihood of undesirable actions. So middle picture affirmation, the D in made is daily successes. And that means doing little tiny things every single day that lead in the direction you want instead of the direction you want to avoid. And the E stands for environmental influences. So it could be something as simple as having a motivational slogan on your wall or a photo of your dearest child or grandchild in front of you on your desk or a reminder or a saying or, a you know, something. Environmental influences. Also, the people you hang with are environmental influences. The places you go are environmental influences. So I thought I was naturally inclined to be a fat guy. I spoke that way and I acted that way. So I had to change my mental picture and say, I commit here today to become a slender person. And then I had to notice my language and interrupt the pattern of talking myself down and say, I'm becoming slender. Mm -hmm. Someone said, Jim, you're fat. Yeah, but I'm becoming slender. Yeah. And so I adjusted my language and I talked in terms of what I wanted and intended, not what I feared or hated. And then daily successes, I found that I couldn't get myself at first to exercise on a regular basis. So I made an absurd commitment that turned the trick. I committed, and I don't mean I decided to do this on a superficial level. I committed to putting on my running shoes and walking to the curb every day. Uh -huh. 365 days a year, no matter what the weather, no matter what the agenda. And you think, well, that's just stupid. It's so trivial. No, that was the first olive out of the bottle. That was the first lick on the ketchup bottle that, that got it to start flowing. Uh -huh. By walking to the curb with running shoes on, every day I had to make a second decision. Do I go for a walk or a run, or do I go back in the house and eat ice cream? And some days I went back in the house and ate ice cream. But most days I said, well, I can go to the corner. Well, you know, I can go to the next mailbox. I could make it to that tree before I stop. And before long, I was running five miles a day easily. And the weight just dripped off of me because I was still on that FABS diet regimen. Mm -hmm. And I was learning to like water and black coffee. And... I dropped 52 pounds. I got in great physical shape. And uh, people started talking about me as an athlete. And I remember the first time a guy said, he's skinny like Jim. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I am thin. I'm skinny. Wow. Thank you. That's good. And that was 40 years ago. Very cool. 40 plus, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Very cool. Kudos. Kudos. Thank you. Well, Jim, this has been a lot of fun. I want to make sure we get to hear about some of your favorite things. Can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? The favorite passage from the Bible, I'm Christian, is John 10.10. 10. But you don't have to take this in a biblical sense. You can take it in a philosophical sense. John 10.10 10 is where Jesus is quoted as saying, I've come that they would have life and have it more abundantly. Well, mm -hmm. I embrace that as my life purpose. 
I want my life to help others live more abundantly, live more fully, more meaningfully, more satisfying because they got ideas that I was sharing. Uh So that's my purpose. The greatest quote I can recall right off the top of my head is from Zig Ziglar. Zig said, you can get everything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. Uh And isn't that the truth, right? That's good. And could you also share with us a favorite book? I've got two, and they're very similar in nature. One is The Greatest Salesman in the World by Og Mandino, Og O.G., which stood for Augustine, and that was his nickname, Og Mandino. And Og was a friend of mine. He sold tens of millions of books. And The Greatest Salesman in the World is not just for salespeople, it's for anybody, but it's an inspiring book set in ancient times, you know, with people, nomads wandering across the desert and all that sort of thing. And uh, it's about a, a young camel boy that ended up becoming fabulously successful. So the greatest salesman in the world. And then another one that's similar in nature, but much more contemporary. And that's by Giovanni Levera, L-I-V-E-R-A. And the book is called Live a Thousand Years. And it's like a Disney movie when you read the book. But it's all about goal setting and self-awareness and healthy relationships and living in a meaningful life. It's just so well written. So there's two. Beautiful. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? Well, point them to my name, Jim Cathcart, C-A-T-H-C-A-R-T. If you do a Google search on that, you'll end up with like 300,000 links. I'm Jim Cathcart on YouTube, on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, Cathcart Institute on LinkedIn also, Vimeo. Man, I'm out there. The only thing you won't find me on is Twitter. I canceled that account. I got frustrated with Twitter. But Cathcart.com is my website. I'm pretty much omnipresent. (laughs) All righty. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Well, I would just challenge them to take some of the ideas we've been talking about and start applying them in writing, keeping a record, dating your written record right now for the next 30 days or the next however long you can get yourself to do it. Just start applying some of these ideas and notice the payoffs that you get. And if you need my help, come join me. Come in February, I'm going to Nashville and doing a program called Going Pro. In June, I'm going to Machu Picchu, Peru, and doing a program on knowing yourself and uh, understanding all the things that make you who you are based on my book, The Acorn Principle. So come with me and let's see how much more successful you could be. All righty. Jim, this has been fun. Thanks so much for taking the time and keep on rocking. It's a joy for me. Thank you. And go to Guitar Music Live dot com and listen to and watch some of my videos where I'm playing and singing. I've got 19 songs on there and I don't know how many videos, but it's all free. Just go there and enjoy yourself. Oh, sure. Thank you. Really dug Jim's take on the causation chain in terms of the mindset leading to actions, leading to habits, leading to reputation, leading to which opportunity doors open and close for you, which that determines the size of your future. And I think that is just true 
in terms of, of my gut and wisdom and feeling right. And it's also empirically shown some real legs there with, I'm thinking again of Dr. Albert Bandura's work associated with self-efficacy. That it's huge. It starts with thoughts and that I find rather motivating in terms of when I find my own untidy thinking showing up, I can say, hmm, I could let this fester or that could have some problematic long-term consequences. So yeah, you know, feel what you feel, experience stuff, don't squash down emotions, but then take a real look. What are the mindsets, the beliefs, the thoughts here that are coming up again and again? Are they true? And if they're not, what would be a better one? And let's get that going because the implications of what's at stake is actually quite substantial. So again, the show notes, the transcript, and the links to items we've referenced are over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP735. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.